What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 69. Nice. My name is Zach. <laughs> I'm one of the hosts, and joining me as per usual is Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Dude, I had a good... I was going to like riff on this for like a whole two minutes, but you know, you, you beat me to it. I did not expect you to make the joke in your intro card. I, I can't follow that. Start reading the other stuff. I forget it. I'm done. <laughs> my my work here is done. Mission accomplished. Well, if you uh, aren't aware, we do have a Discord server. It's completely free, so we would really love for you to check that out. You can find the link to that in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. It's the best place to go to support us directly. And is really the only thing from a monetary perspective that is keeping us doing this. So that's a huge thanks to all of those who are currently subscribed to us and supporting us um, in our content creation each week. Perks include things like our Draft Doctor series, second episode of which is coming up soon. You also have stickers, show notes, unedited recordings, and our Draft Chaff Hero cards sent right to you. Um, and, well, we're about to see what the next one is. So, you know, check that out, as I said, on at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. And yeah, so I mentioned, kind of did this out of order, but this week's episode is the Draft Chaff Hero for Midnight Hunt. We're going to dive right into that after our other few segments before our main topic. So Ben, kick us off with your crack a draft type thing. Right. I've got a fun pack one pick one here. And now maybe some people might suggest it as something to do with our, our topic today. Those uh, those rumors they remain to be seen. First up is Evolving Wilds. I like having a copy in my decks, but I'm not taking a first pick. Might of the Old Ways, a pretty mediocre pump spell. I think I've probably gotten the Coven trigger on this. Like, I don't know, I've probably cast this card like five times and I've gotten the Coven trigger twice. Does that sound about right? Oh, geez. I don't even know if... Like, I, I don't know. I feel like Coven, you really need to build your deck to, to, to hit, right? Like, it doesn't always get there. Yeah, incidentally, in green, you just have a bunch of two-power creatures. Um, like, even some of the Coven decks have a bunch more two-powered creatures than others. So, I don't know. I found Might of the Old Ways pretty mediocre, especially compared to Flare of Faith. Next up, Harvest Tide Sentry. This one's gone up in my book. I really like being aggressive in this format, and I think the good green decks are aggressive, particularly green-white. Uh, next, Bird Admirer. Womp womp. Uh, I do, do not admire <laughs> this card. Uh, it can stonewall some zombies, but it's a three mana one for it. That's, that's just not really what the green decks want to do. As I mentioned, I think the best green decks attack. Festival Crasher. This is a nice one. Uh, it's honestly probably my pick so far. That's the one in the red one three where when you cast an instant or sorcery, it gets plus three plus oh, or sorry, plus two plus oh. Fun little card. Yeah, definitely. The spells decks and, and all we've seen that the red spells kind of package can do. Um, this is a, a kind of a linchpin in those decks. Yeah, I, I could see playing up to like four or five of these things. And really, there's no diminishing returns. I mean, as long as you can cast some instants and sorceries to trigger these guys. Next up is Vampire Interloper, which is a card I thought would be a much bigger menace to society in this format. We thought it was going to be really powerful because the format, well, uh, because this card is very fast. This presents a huge clock, and if you play two of them, like, <laughs> that's an awful lot of flying power. Now, it turns out there's enough little disturbed creatures running around, and, you know, coming back is one, two flyers, or two, one first strike flyers. Turns out Vampire Interloper gets blocked a little bit more than we thought, as well as the fact that there's actually just, the format is faster than we thought. Uh, as I like to say, your life total is closer to zero than you think, and... This thing sometimes can just get outraced by maybe a, a horde of decayed zombies or 
Uh, even just like a, a well-built black red deck. Next up is Eaten Alive. Awesome removal spell. Absolutely the pick here. Love Eaten Alive. Super good. Yeah, nothing um, more to add. We can kind of ignore the uh, Storm Rider spirit. This card you can play if you have nothing else. Uh, John Yard Amalgam, same. Just very replaceable top end for blue. Cathar Commando is our last common. I'm just solidly on Eaten Alive out of the commons, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's very close. Next up, we've got Hound Tamer, a green card that I do like quite a bit. 3 mana, 3-3 three, three, Trample, and it can flip on the backside, get even bigger. I really like that it has the same ability on both sides. I think Saffron Olive tweeted something about it, how um, he's much a bigger fan of these werewolves in the, than the last series, where sometimes you really wanted the effect on one of the sides. Here it tends to be the backside has the same effect, but maybe something better or something additional. Uh, I guess for Hound Tamer, that's, it's just bigger. But the ability to put the counter on anything is... is uh, really a good way to make combat a nightmare for your opponent. Next up, we've got Morbid Opportunist. That's two and a black for a 1-3 human rogue at Uncommon. Uh, this is the thing that draws you cards when stuff dies. Man, what a what a funny little card you got there, huh? Yeah, this is like frontrunner for Mythic Uncommon, or say if somebody had some sort of series about draft chaff cards that might be really good. I don't know. It's It's a fantastic card, though. Man, someone should really get on that. Next up is Phantom Carriage. This is four blue blue for a four four flying. Uh, it tutors for something to put in your graveyard, something with a disturber flashback. This is a fun one. It's a nice top end for blue. Sometimes the blue decks can struggle to hit their sixth land drop. I mean, this can be great in blue green when you're kind of ramping into it. But sometimes in blue white, you cut this and you just run 16 lands instead and just have a much yeah. more aggressive curve that tops out at four. Yeah, I found this card really hard to slot into my decks. Like... It seems cool, and when it works, it seems like it does the thing, but six mana is a lot, and is, this card doesn't really get there all that often in those decks. I'd much rather be in, like, blue-black and just play the black six drop, the Hound. Mm. It's just It just seems to fit the bill much better. Yeah, this is weird. It, um, it, it can close out the game because it's a giant flyer, but at the same time, there's tons of little flyers that can chump block it. However, like you mentioned, the Hound, uh, it loves chump blockers. It, it pings right through them. Last but not least is Sun Gold Sentinel. That's our rare. One of the white for a 3-2, and it's got a, a whole bunch of text on it. it Exile stuff. Uh, you can activate its Coven trigger to make it unblockable and, and all that cool stuff. It's a it's a two-drop, though. I mean, honestly, this card isn't... It's better than something like Candlegrove Witch. But is it that much better? I don't know. Exiling can be relevant against the right opponent, but this is a two mana three two. I think that's the biggest aspect of this card. Yeah, I mean it's definitely above rate, right? And if you can turn Coven on, it's pretty phenomenal. But I think I'm just taking Morbid Opportunist. Like, how do you pass that card in this situation? Yeah, I mean I don't mind any of the Esper colors, but uh, Sun Gold Sentinel is great. However, it is a two drop and replaceable effect wise. I mean, it hates in the graveyard, but that doesn't always come up. Sometimes you'll play against the deck that has no graveyard interaction and you'll feel pretty silly if you're just you know if this thing just gets blanked uh, functionally and you can never turn on coven it's a strong card for sure but i'm one morbid opportunist yeah this uh well perhaps we can find some other folks to sing the praises of morbid opportunist in uh, in another episode i, I don't know uh, I, l let's move on um to our bonus crack a draft type thing oh which boy. may be a, a surprise to you I actually went out to the store, and I, I haven't bought a bundle in a long time. However, I was incentivized because now they contain set boosters, which, you know, say what you will about the weird change over to having tons of set boosters everywhere instead of draft boosters. I mean, these are better to open as just the straight-up packs. To be honest, one of the main reasons that I wanted this, I really wanted that glow-in-the-dark oversized spin-down D20. And I gotta say, it's awesome. 
like it looks sick it's it's huge it's it's one of the oversized ones uh, that I, I love having around they show up really well on webcams for like webcam commander that kind of thing and it's glow in the dark that, that's that's dope that's pretty cool uh also comes with this very nice box and eight packs of um uh collector boosters now whatever they're collector boosters they might have some fun stuff in them so i thought it would be pretty cool to open a few up actually opened a handful last night. Uh, I, I got some pretty nice pulls. Some foil full art lands. I had one that contained both Intrepid Adversary, that's the uh, the white mythic, and Avacyn's Memorial. That's uh, a mythic from the Commander set. Uh, it, it does the Avacyn thing. It's indestructible, and it gives your other legendary stuff indestructible. It costs a million mana. I don't know what it's used for, but I thought it was pretty cool to get two white mythics in the same pack. Yeah. Let's see what we've got first out here. We've got what looks like... Uh, a Lord of the Olvenwald art card. I do like that they include these random art cards. They're kind of fun to have. I collect the ones that I like. Maybe I'll, I'll make a collage out of them or something. Now these packs are a little weird, so uh, let's see what kind of theme we get. First up, nice full art island. We've got Flare of Faith, which I honestly love a copy or two of this in all my white decks. There's just so many humans. They all do... Uh, I mean, it's pretty tough to lose combat. Plus three, plus three, when a lot of your humans are two, two. Creatures in this format, there's not like seven sevens or six sixes just running around in this format. Plus three, plus three will usually win combat. Plus the indestructible almost always guarantees your creature's going to be safe anyway. Next up, we got Candlegrove Witch. Love this two drop. Play as many as you can get in white decks. Hedge Witch's Mask. Hate this card. Unplayable, in my opinion. I have never seen it played or cast, and I don't plan to. Ritual Guardian, uh, this is a begrudging playable. Sometimes you need a three drop and lifelink can be relevant in this format if you're racing and have to you know, get ahead of the, uh, the zombie horde. <laughs> it's our buddy Phantom Carriage. I think we've said enough about this one already. Next up, we've got Root Coil Creeper. I'm, I mean, this one isn't too far off from Mythic Uncommon either. This, this thing does a million things. It has three activated abilities, and one of them functionally draws you kind of like a card and then some extra card, depending on how good your flashback stuff is. Plus, it's a, it's a great mana dork. Yeah, I think that card would see a lot more play if the, the archetype that it fits in was better, right? Like, the green side of blue-green doesn't really add very much to blue you'd much rather be pairing blue with other colors so mm. yeah i think it got the short end of the stick there but i think it would also just be too powerful in most other formats where blue green yeah. was like a real deck so yeah i found green to be the most confused color in in midnight hunt There's some green stuff that's awesome a good green white coven deck with, with a bunch of low to the ground humans can be really tough to beat but then sometimes these dirtily green black decks or green red decks just look unplayable. Even ones that include some of the same cards. I think just the, their vectors are just a little uh, not pointed in quite the right direction and also not that strong. Next up we have a card that I actually haven't gotten too much experience with but I wish I had. Death Bonnet Sprout. It's the one mana 1-1. One, one. At the beginning of your upkeep, mill a card and if there's three or more creatures in your graveyard, transform it. It flips into a 3-3. Three, three. At the beginning of your upkeep, you can exile a card from a graveyard. If it was a creature, put a 1-1 counter on it. I have never gotten to play with this. I, I just don't find that it comes together very often. Yeah, no, I haven't I haven't found... I don't think I've ever drafted it either. Yeah, I feel like maybe the people that want it pick it up right away. It needs a little bit of help because, I mean, it self-mills, so maybe you want to be doing that anyway. It's a cool card. It's a cool design, and it can be a big threat. A 3-3 is no joke, and it starts as a one-mana investment. But... I don't know. It's whatever. Maybe I'll, I'll try to get some play with it in soon. Next up, we have Shady Traveler. It's a nice alt art one. Whatever. Very replaceable. I'm not usually feeling very threatened when my opponent plays a Shady Traveler. Nope. 
Next up is Dawnheart Rejuvenator. That's three and a green for a two four. The life gain can be relevant. This thing can stabilize a board, but it's still not great. Yeah, I've never found it exceptional. And uh, we have our rare here, Rite of Harmony. Green, white, instant. Womp, womp. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a green, white card that says draw cards. This, this should draw boundless, unlimited cards, right? Well, there's no blue in it, so it definitely shouldn't do that. I, I genuinely don't know how you're supposed to use this card. Are you supposed to, like play this and then i don't know play something that makes a, a decayed token or something like it, it, this just doesn't feel like it should i don't know it, it's a confused design you know well i i don't think it was really designed for limited in particular i mean it, it's it seems great and constructed but we just don't have like token generators in this format i was drafting a green white deck i think yesterday and it was pack three when you're always hoping to find that you've been put in the right lane and get past those nice, nice on-color rares. And uh, I was very happy to see that my person to my right had passed me a green-white rare. It wasn't Sigarda. It was Rite of Harmony. So I think I took it for the gem value. There was nothing else in the pack anyway. Last but not least, we have a foil startle. Fun trick. Fun combat trick. And in what appears to be a flavor win... We have gotten a card from the list. Everyone's favorite, um, I don't know, confusing thing, thing no one knows about, thing people think they understand but then find out they're wrong about. I don't know. They just they just toss cards in sometimes. This is a bloodied ghost. This must be intentional, right, for Innistrad? I have never seen this card before in my life. I don't know. This card costs one Orsav Orsav, using our, our naming variety. So three mana total, but you can pay one white white or one white black or one white black. Or wait, one black black. You know what there I mean. There you go. <laughs> Just use it. Use three black and white mana to cast it. It'll work. It is a 3-3 three, three uncommon spirit with flying. It comes into play with a minus one, minus one counter on it. And it has some pretty grim artwork on it. I recommend looking up Bloodied Ghost. It's got some pretty spooky vibes. Interesting, interesting. I don't know. What's the pick out of this pack? This pack was kind of junk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of forgot that this was supposed to be something we were paying attention to for for draft picks um we're not <laughs> we're we're not really maybe the startle <laughs> <laughs> honestly it's probably the startle or the startle candle grove witch Phantom oh there was Carriage. a witch in there yeah i'd probably just take the candle grove witch yeah that's that's pretty safe right all right well um that's uh that was a pretty disappointing pack perhaps i'll find time to open another one later on in the episode all right, well, with that, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style of segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, kick us off. So, my apartment actually looks livable for once, which is a funny thing to say. For a long time in my last apartment, when we actually started doing this uh, this podcast, my apartment, I mean, you saw it. It wasn't great. I knew that I wasn't going to be there for a long time, and I, sad as it is to say, I never really wanted to invest too much into decorating it and feeling at home there so i kind of forgot how nice it is to be surrounded by like your stuff and you know decor that you put up uh that kind of thing i spent a bunch of the weekend installing shelves so i'm, I'm starting to toss some stuff up there it made me realize that i don't actually have a lot of stuff to put on shelves so i guess i'll go out and get some succulents or something like that like comment and subscribe if you know what i should put up on my shelves but, but genuinely like comment in the discord what should a dude in his mid-20s nerd put up on some wall shelves. My, my color scheme, I've got some, um, I describe it as bant. Uh, I've got a nice like blue and white rug, the, the, like wood grains, uh, wood, wood grain tables, that kind of thing. 
the shelves are like a, kind of like a light brown. Let, let me know what I should put in there. Give, give me your home decor expertise. You got to have some pop vinyls up there or something. Oh, yeah. I think I've got an Elspeth one laying around that I could toss up. Well, anyway, yeah, it, it, it's fun. And I, I finally have a PC setup that I'm pretty proud of, too. I sent you a picture. I have my webcam setup is now pretty functional. So I'm ready to start jamming some webcam commander whenever you're all ready. Just, just let me know in the, in the Discord channel for that. And uh, we can hop in. Maybe Zach will bring his chaos deck and, you know, ruin the fun. But <laughs> I'm sure at least some of us have fun. fun. Fun for some of us. Um, fun is zero sum when Zach plays uh, <laughs> chaos, and uh, the, the sum does not tend to go to anyone but Zach. Uh, and last but not least on my list of Teferi's, the Magic Club in my school has like picked up. It started as a games club that like another teacher runs, and we started as like one or two people in the corner, me and another teacher and like a student or two. People have slowly started coming over and they hear how much fun we're having. And even today, people are like peeking over their existing game. They're playing some like board games and they were looking at us like those people are having fun back there. What are they playing? And they'd come over and look and I'd hand them an intro pack and that kind of thing. Uh, We had like I think we had five or six students uh, playing with like intro decks today. And, uh, you know, we gave them some of the like intro packs. It it was a, a nice feeling. Uh, one of my students, actually, he got to experience playing turn one Delver and then flipping it and nice. then had a handful of counter spells and was like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> like, that's Welcome how it works. My tip this week is also school related. I've got a tough class. Uh, I sent you a, a picture of one of the notes that I, that got documented by the school. Not going to air out too much of the business, but let's just say it's it's the kind of class where students are threatening teachers and not really doing work. Learning is is kind of pretty low on the list of priorities. It's more a class that's going to focus on, I guess, behavior and and kind of, you know, how to work in groups and, and that kind of thing or how to interact with people that bother you or, or that kind of thing, which is out of my wheelhouse entirely. I consider myself a pretty solid physics teacher. But when it comes to behavior, I tend to err on the side of like chill. So there's a bunch of other teachers I know that, that listen to this. So I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's a small class. Um, uh, but it is going to be a tough one. So my uh, my other teachers that I work with in that class, we've been like studying IEPs and working on all sorts of stuff. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, y- you saw that screenshot, I guess, uh, verbal abuse and uh, hopefully no physical abuse. But verbal abuse is something that I can expect to experience pretty much every day with that class. It's it's wow, kind of rough, rough trying to, yeah, trying to teach people that are actively trying to piss you off. <laughs> Yeah, that's tough. And then it, it kind of becomes a game, right? Where they're like, ooh, let's see how, how much it'll take to push his buttons this time and, you know, that kind of stuff. That that really sucks. Hopefully that, uh, I guess, works out for you or, or ends up getting easier. I'm sure once they break down that hard, concrete exterior that is your personality, they'll figure out that you're actually a pretty small guy. That's the thing. Like, I, I think my, my best bet might just to be, you know, keep my smile up. It's hard to do. And uh, I don't think any teacher gets paid enough including myself to be honest but that, that's how it is and uh you know they're, they're still students they've got a lot to learn and I'm, I'm gonna do my best so we'll see how it goes there you go there you go how about you what's up yeah so uh feels like it's been an eternity since the last time we recorded to be honest maybe that's because a lot has happened maybe that's because nothing has happened i'm not really sure but my teferi is that we got a dog And this is super random like we weren't exactly looking for a dog all that much um and those of you who've been listening to the show for a while 
know that I actually got a dog last year, and that lasted all of 48 hours. That dog didn't seem like a good match. Yeah, go find an episode from, I don't remember which one I talked about it in, but it, it would have been right around like the first week of November or so where I, where I talked about that whole thing. So if you're interested in that story, go check that out. But long story short, I think last week or two weeks ago, I mentioned on the show that my wife had some health kind of issues and she struggled with anxiety in the past. So we were very loosely talking about getting her like an emotional support animal, something like that. And we were kind of just looking at a couple of different rescues in our area and it's more like a, let's just entertain this thought, not like, Hey, we're getting a dog. And the last time we did this last year, we never, we never really heard back from anybody. And when we did, it was either like, Hey, the dog you wanted is gone. Like it's already been adopted or like it's been months and now we're not looking anymore or something like that. Um, We had a really hard time finding, like getting in contact with rescues and stuff the last time. This time I submitted like a thing to say, Hey, we're kind of interested in this dog. And they got back to me the next day. And it turned out that dog wasn't actually a good fit for us, but we went through this process with an adoption counselor with this rescue where th- we went through like three or four different dogs just talking back and forth of like, this is what we want, this is what we know we can't handle, things like that. Long story short, she ended up putting us in contact with an amazing dog. She's four years old. She's a beagle coonhound mix. She Ooh. does almost nothing inside. <laughs> like she basically just sleeps all day. But then once you get her outside, as soon as you get her out of the apartment, she is she just comes to life and gets like super, super excited she loves going for walks and like meeting other dogs. She'll start playing with just about any other dog that she comes around. She walks pretty well on leash. She's house trained and all that. So it's it's been pretty good. She is kind of afraid of our floors. I think she slides too much on hardwood. <laughs> so she like doesn't like to touch the floor. Huh. So we're working on that. Um, hopefully she gets yeah. more comfortable with it. But uh, yeah, she's been great. And yeah, like I said, last year it was a nightmare. So this has been a very pleasant turn of events for that. And I know you uh, you prefer to have a dog in, in the house from at least as long as I've known you. You've always had at least one uh, small rat-like dog around you. I don't know if yes. I'd call this dog rat-like. but <laughs> No, well, I actively wanted a non-rat-like dog if we to were going to get a dog. Yeah, I'm so tired of having really tiny dogs that yap all day. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's been great. We're still getting used to each other, us and the dog, that is, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's been really good, and, and she seems like a really fantastic dog so we're both very excited about it uh, i was just gonna ask if you could uh this is just spam the discord with dog pics uh please like comment and subscribe if you would like zach to post pictures of his dog in the discord i'm sure it won't take too much strong arming but uh <laughs> it's okay guys one day he'll realize you can't like comment and subscribe on a well you can subscribe i guess but you can't like and comment a podcast episode but one day he'll get it you know the uh, the thing in Westworld where they say, uh, like, uh, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but a certain group of people say uh, that that doesn't look like anything to me. Yeah. That doesn't sound like anything to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will not register that as, as uh, actual facts. Anyway, uh, continue. <laughs> yeah, so on top of that, uh, kickboxing has continued to be a blast. I'm still very sore, but I found it to be a lot of fun and it's getting me to work out on a regular basis, which is apparently good for my health or something. I don't know. That's what they tell me. And on top of all that, my personal YouTube channel, which I think I've hinted at on this show before, getting very, very close to an actual launch for that. Uh, so that's exciting. That that uh, that channel is going to be focused on like productivity, lifestyle, technology kind of stuff. So I guess if you're interested in that, I can post a link or something in the Discord. But yeah, just kind of a side thing I'm, I'm working on. And 
pretty excited about. My tip this week is that our living room is still mostly empty. We moved over a month ago and we have a couch and a coffee table and that's it. We don't have any art or like an entertainment system or a TV or a tape, like a, a shelf for the TV to go on or a rug or anything. So we definitely need to kind of boost that up. Like it's still kind of echoes in there, which is, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we kind of need to uh, get that together, but uh, hopefully that'll happen soon. Well, folks, you can like, comment, and subscribe if you have some suggestions for Zach's decor as well. <laughs> it sounds this is like the most a most spammy episode ever. <laughs> Two crack and draft type things. Three requests to like, comment, and subscribe. All right, all right. All that out of the way. Let's get on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Pizza Hand in the Discord asking As you were talking about gameplay improvement, one card stuck out to me, and that card was Geist Wave. How do you approach bounce spells in this format? Ooh, I was hoping we'd get the opportunity to talk about this. So first of all, bounce spells are not always good. There are some formats and some board states even in other formats where a bounce spell is the last thing you want, right? Whether it's uh, the biggest thing is just something that they can just recast or if it's an ETB trigger that you're afraid of. Sometimes you do not want to be bouncing your opponent's stuff. However, let's talk about when bounce spells can be good. Now... A bounce spell is good when it functionally removes that creature forever, right? So there's a few ways to do that. First one to come to mind is tokens. And in this format, there are a handful of larger tokens. There's Shadow Beast Sighting and there's Seize the Storm, which is kind of now that the secret is out. This is one of the best top ends for the red spells deck. And if you can get a copy or two of Seize the Storm, I mean, you can close up the game really fast. I think what a lot of people didn't realize was that those tokens scale. Uh, it's not actually a permanent XX effect. It's however many instants and sorceries you have in your graveyard, and I think also Exile. Um, but that constantly updates. So if you, I don't know, cast a bunch more instants and sorceries, it'll keep getting bigger. And you get two of them. That card is flashback, which is gross. So between those big storm tokens, I guess, and uh, those big shadow beasts, yeah, uh, you can definitely consider... You know, if you're playing best of three, sideboarding inbounds, or maybe just even main decking if you expect to see some, some uh, of these larger tokens, which everyone will. I mean, people still play red and green decks. Another way you can make a bounce spell into a permanent removal spell is if the game ends before they get to recast their creature, right? So that leans us more towards aggressive decks. Now, we just so happen to have a very aggressive set of blue decks in this format, like blue-white and blue-black. Blue-green, I do not think you really want to be playing bounce spells in too much. It's a slower game. You're, I don't know, you're not planning on any of the game until maybe after they recast it. So blue-white and, and blue-black specifically, given that they can get such aggressive starts. Yeah, uh, then you can functionally use a bounce spell. Uh, what is it? Fading Hope and, uh, and Geist Wave are the two. They functionally become removal spells if your opponent never gets to recast their creature because you swung for lethal, right? Yeah, that's true. I guess, um, you know, there's also something to be said. Like, we've talked a little bit about how, like, the zombie tokens in this format, the decayed tokens, are weird and, like, kind of awkward for people to play around because, well, do I chump this because it's just going to die anyway? Do I block it at all because it's just going to die anyway? You're pretty much never pointing removal spells at them. Do you use a card like Geist Wave on, on a decayed token? I think if you're in a super swingy race where every last point of damage matters and it, like every bit of life matters and it's, it's one of those cases where you're hoping your opponent you kind of need them to not play around it 
in a way, where your opponent swings in, they, they full swing for lethal, they have no blockers back, and then you've been leaving up, like, I don't know, maybe a, a Neville Gas Herald or whatever that thing is, and is, is that the one from, from now, or is that the earlier one? Neville Gas Intruder. You, you leave up, like, a Neville Gas Intruder and uh, uh, Fading Hope or something, right? And you end up having it and then swinging back for lethal because you happen to have just exactly what you needed. You happen to have the bounce or the interaction or whatever to blank their attack and then swing back for lethal. That's when bounce can be best in, in those aggressive decks. I think you sometimes will have to bounce a zombie, but otherwise, I mean, the strategy of just taking the damage usually works. Of course, you know, you better have a way of closing the game out fast if you're planning on using your life total as a resource that aggressively. Yeah, there's also something to be said for the tempo nature of them. I think a lot of people try to look at bounce spells in terms of removal when really they should be used as a, a kind of a gauge on tempo. Like if you have a deck that's built around capitalizing on tempo of setting your opponent back in some way, shape or form, then they go up a little bit in value. Like kind of in terms of that aggressive style, like you're mentioning, like if you can bounce their creature that had some sort of, I mean, you don't typically want to bounce ETB creatures or something like that, but if you could bounce one of their creatures, it's like an, an amazing blocker. It gets you, lets you get in for a turn. They play it. It can't attack the next turn, something like that. I mean, they have to waste their turn to, to play that card again. Like the tempo matters a lot in decks that want to be playing bounce spells. In terms of this particular format, I found them to be fine. Like, I don't think they're really good or bad any more than usual. I think the nature of blue being so so stacked in terms of commons makes them a little bit better, I guess. Like, you can kind of just afford to play every blue common. <laughs> like, they're all just good. Sometimes you'll wind up just cutting them because they don't fit the vector of your deck or, or they're just some of the weaker cards in your deck. But I think one other last case scenario... I mean, you, you mentioned uh, one other that's, you know, just bouncing a big creature, right? And then they have to kind of spend their whole turn recasting it. Another way you can kind of leverage that is if you have kind of intrinsic card advantage in your cards themselves, a bunch of cards with Disturb or spells that have flashback and making tokens, uh, this, this type of thing. If you have other ways of building this advantage, you don't mind going down that card as much because it does cost you a card for quote-unquote tempo, which is right. a tricky thing to pin down the exact definition of, and we should probably write that down for a future episode, right? But... Uh, everyone knows it, uh, what it feels like to have a big tempo swing. Bouncing a six drop or a five drop with a one mana or two mana spell, that feels like good tempo. But you're essentially going down a card. If your deck has enough intrinsic card advantage to it that you don't really mind going down, I mean, against something like red-green, these, these spells are just awesome. I mean, they invest a whole turn into a, a five mana four or five, and then you just send it back to, your, to their hand and swing in for like six. And they're like, oh, well, if I just recast it, then I go to two, and then I die to their flyer. It's a way to leverage uh, your, your little dorks and, and tiny attacking blue creatures. Great question. Thanks for that pizza hand. All right. With that, on to our main topic for today, and that is our Draft Chaff Hero for Midnight Hunt, and that is... Rumble. Yeah, I assume nobody's been able to guess it just yet because we haven't been <laughs> verbose enough. Uh, but for Midnight Hunt, our Draft Chaff Hero is Morbid Opportunist. So, Ben, why don't you yeah. walk us through the card? Oh, man. Morbid Opportunist is quite the card. It is two and a black for a 1-3 creature. It's a human rogue. It's an uncommon. Whenever one or more other creatures die, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. Simple card. Now, uh, there's a bunch of fun stuff to break down about this alone. 
it's a, a perfect blocker for the pesky zombies that are all running around. And this thing loves when zombies die, right? And it, <laughs> that's just one aspect of this card that makes it our pick for Draft Draft Hero. Rarely needs to attack or block, but it can. Uh, it wears counters pretty nicely, I've noticed, in, in the white decks. Uh, it's pretty great to follow up after a turn 2, 2-2. Uh, if you play a 2-2, your opponent plays a 2-2, you untap, play Morbid Opportunist, and then ram your 2-2 into their 2-2, you're pretty happy with that. Fun fact about the name, Morbid is the keyword that checks to see if a creature died this turn. I don't think Opportunist means anything. I can't think of any other magic cards named Opportunist. No, Wasn't it's just taking advantage of the fact that things died. And this card certainly does that, right? The fact that it's a rogue is not really relevant unless you're one of those, I don't know, diehard rogues players that's still trying to make it work in standard. If so, I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> that that deck is sailed. But human can sometimes have applications. Occasionally, there's a, some niche cards in this format that care about humans. Yeah, so obviously uh, this pairs pretty naturally with the plethora of graveyard interactions such as Crawl from the Cellar or Diagraph Rebirth as it likes cards dying. You know, anything that can deal with getting stuff back from the graveyard or anything like that is obviously going to pair well with this. The amount of sacrifice interaction that it has, such as like Flesh Taker or Eat Alive, things of that nature, kind of go up in value when you have a Morbid Opportunist available to you. And even if this trades with a 3-1, you still draw a card off of your opponent's creature dying, so like you're kind of going up a card when your opponent is trading in what they think is a one-for-one -one situation, which is great. It also pairs incredibly well with any removal. One of the things I think that really pushes this card over to the top into being a draft half hero level card is it doesn't care whose creatures are dying. Like if this card was yeah. whenever one or more of your other creatures die, do the thing. Yeah, I could see that being like, okay, this is good, but like, you know, it's it's not the best card ever. This card is just really good because everything dies. Like it's limited. Things die all the time. Mm -hmm. It also pairs incredibly well with cards like Midnight Ambush and things of that nature. And uh, of course, you want to prioritize getting triggers on both turns um, because it does only trigger once a turn you want to make sure that you're getting those triggers on each player's turn throw your zombies into the into the red zone let them get chumped or blocked or i don't know deal damage and then just die off and then point removal at your opponent's stuff or wait for them to try to attack through i mean it, it leads to a lot of board stalls pretty effectively as well and of course if the board does stall this card will just take over <laughs> So right. the moment someone tries to kill something, this really has to be the first thing they kill. And weirdly enough, a bunch of the best removal in the format is it kind of has trouble dealing with it. I think we can all agree that Olivia's Midnight Ambush is one of the premier removal spells in the format. And it doesn't actually kill it unless it's night. It's a 1-3. I mean, if this card were a 1-2, I think it would be, I don't know, I guess a bit worse. I think <laughs> there's also a funny interaction between Eaten Alive and Morbid Opportunist. If let's say you have a morbid opportunist and your opponent has to sacrifice a creature to eat and alive to exile it, you get the death trigger. <laughs> so yes. it's it's still a two for one. I guess more than that if you count the creature that they're sacrificing. So it, th this card is tough to remove, tougher than it might look, and also it's really easy to get back. This is Innistrad, like stuff comes back from the dead all the time here, right? I mean, there's ways to return stuff to hand, that that sort of thing. More of an opportunist, I mean, you just feel so good having one of these in your deck. Yeah. Let's break down some of the specific archetypes that, you know, we see more of an opportunist in. We're going to start with blue-black, the, I guess, champion of the format. And I guess a little bit of a follow-up from before. The format has kind of self-corrected, not as much as it would in pod draft. Blue-black is still, I think, the best deck. But, you know, you can have really solid green-white decks that can certainly go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this. 
and you know other decks that are that are fine and playable too. Esper colors are, are, are still, I think, where I'd like to be the most. Agree? Yeah, yeah. From from what I've seen, it's still like you said. I mean, it's it's corrected, but not so much that like it's still not the deck you want. Like you you still want blue black, but you can you can get the cards to get other stuff. I've noticed personally that I get less broken non-blue black piles now. So I think right, other people right. have started picking back up on, oh, we don't have to force it. Uh, you can play red and green. I recommend leaning into the spells package in red and leading into the uh, humans and aggressive package in green. I do not recommend playing werewolves. I recommend playing the good werewolves, but please don't play bird admirer. <laughs> that, that's all. Uh, opportunist is obviously awesome in blue black. It is. I mean, the deck has a lot of card selection. Just look at Organ Hoarder, right? It has removal spells that kill creatures rather than, like, Exile or Lockdown. Uh, it has counter spells that are pretty playable to protect the Opportunist. And tons and tons of zombies to trigger the Opportunist at least once a turn of Fable. At the moment, I realized this card was the, the Draft Chat Hero. I, I think it was when I saw my opponent attack with one of their zombies... I was like, that's a little bit of a weird attack. They, they're, they're like tapped out or something. I just blocked it with like a 4-4. Four, four, and then uh, they just drew a card off of it. And they had like four or five more zombies. And I was like, oh, they get to just draw two, tur- two cards a turn for the rest of the game. Like, this is going to be really tough to beat unless I kill it. And then they, they play like a, a, a Diagraph Horde or like a 5-5 five, five or something. And I'm like, do I even want to kill that? They're just going to draw a card off of it. It, it kind of locks you into killing it first. It has a weird kind of protection effect. That makes me wonder, you know, I how different or like interesting would it be to see a card with like ward one draw a card or like your opponent draws a card or something. So if you target a card with a spell, the owner of that card draws a card. I don't know. That could be interesting, but that's, that's cool. essentially what Morbid Opportunist does. Yeah, I mean, tell wizards about this. That'd be pretty sweet design. We, we've seen it where like opponents have to discard a card uh, right. to pay the ward. Right. But. It's, I guess it's, I, I, I it's card advantage in the other direction then in that case because your opponent's going up a card, not you going down a card. But Yeah, that'd be neat. So in blue-black, it's mainly the value engine, right? Even among a deck full of creatures that are inherently card advantage, all these little disturbed creatures that you can get back, it stands out as one of the absolute best. Like We pick this above other ways of getting uh, inherent card advantage. And uh, just as a side note, we, we were just talking about bounce, right? Bouncing a token does not count as, as killing. Bounce is typically where you, uh, you, you'd hope to get that happen. But this is in blue-black. There's going to be bounce spells. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't actually count as killing. All right, so the next vector that we wanted to cover here is black-white. This deck has the most control over how it uses the opportunist as uh, compared to the other, the other black vectors. But I still think blue-black is kind of the best home for it. But in, in this case with black-white... Uh, it has a bunch of ways to sacrifice for value. We mentioned Flesh Taker before. Um, it also has a ton of white disturbed creatures that you don't mind dying anyway. And that's that always feels great when you're just like trading off your creatures and you draw a card off of them. But then you know you get to cast them again. Cards that might be niche otherwise, such as Ghoulish Procession and Tiny Tokens, they get a lot better. Of course, any token in, in a deck that's leaning on Morbid Opportunist for card advantage is going to go up in value. Um, this is one of the few effects of this type that doesn't mind if it's a token or not, right? It doesn't care about non-token creatures. It's just anything that dies, it, it it's happy to draw a card off of. So feel free to ram a Luminarch Aspirin into their blockers and see what's, you know, basically you're getting a free card out of that. So, uh, you know, yeah. have fun taking their Luminarch Aspirins to uh, to church, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> And this deck has some cute ways of finding the opportunist, right? You can use things like Dawn Guard or protecting it with Flare, uh, Flare of Faith, um, you know, just... That, that feels terrible, right? When your opponent finally finds removal spell for the opportunist, 
Yeah. And then they just flare of faith it and you're like, oh, it's a human. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Yep. Yeah, I've had a few black white piles that I had one that I would even have called black white draw cards, which is not really what you picture as a as a black white deck. But get enough search party captains to you know keep finding these cards and get an opportunist in play. You get this really powerful engine. Next up is black red. We're starting to get into the uh, the less broken decks, I guess. This deck is best when it leverages the spells vector specifically. Uh, as the vampire vector we found to be pretty weak overall and kind of relies on some higher rarity cards, even then it's not the best. It's just kind of like a mid-range deck, which, I don't know, you, you really need your, your cards and creatures to be getting like solid card advantage, not just being a good body. Now, red removal and some of the top-end cards, stuff like Seize the Storm and Ardent Elementalist, to maybe get back something like a, like a Moonrager Slash, they can give this deck some reach and, and some ability to kind of close out late games. Red has some solid burn spells, which pair well with the Opportunist. Uh, and red can occasionally struggle with card advantage and really requires those like inherent card advantage sources, something like the, uh, the Ardent Elementalist. So the Opportunist can kind of help to shore up that weakness. If you have an Opportunist in your black-red deck, it's probably going to be one of your better cards and can have some awkward draws. Unlike blue-black, which is just, the stuff is just dying constantly. And white-black, where you have like, stuff just, you know, you have ability to maybe, uh, what's the one drop? Pay the three to, to sacrifice another creature. You just get to pick when you're going to do this. Something like red-black, you're a little more reliant on your removal spells to do it. And there's not too many ways to defend it. Black-red prefers to be aggressive. So this is not exactly your ideal 3-drop. You'd rather play something a little more aggressive, something that can actually attack and get in for damage. Sometimes this deck, uh, I don't know, it can just get run over by the the faster, more aggressive blue decks that have a little more control over the way the game plays out. But it's still fine. You'll absolutely take it and play it in your black-red decks. And, you know, just if if you think you have a chance of protecting this or, or drawing removal or something like that, uh, just think very carefully about how you play it. You really want to get those draw triggers on uh, on each turn. Yeah, I think, you know, something that sets the Morbid Opportunist apart from the other uncommons in this set is that it pretty much does fit into every black vector. Like, you're pretty happy to put it in any of these decks. But I think you're right. With black-red, it's it cares way more about just having the, the spell density and doing sort of the pinger, kind of siege zombie, thermo alchemist combo mm-hmm. thing and, and just going to town, like, dealing direct damage to your opponent or being as aggressive as possible. And Morbid Opportunist doesn't quite fit into that very well, but those decks do tend to run out of cards pretty pretty frequently or pretty quickly. And so Morbid Opportunist can kind of help refill or keep the engine going uh, when, when you do run out of cards in that way. So um, it definitely has a spot, probably one of the weaker archetypes to find that card in, but definitely still has a spot. And our next one here is Black Green, kind of the worst black deck i would say unfortunately yeah. ben um i know yeah, i know black green feels like it's been getting kind of shafted for a little while now we had like a brief reprieve from that in like uh strixhaven it was like okay mm-hmm. and you know we're back to black green kind of being at the bottom of the totem pole but the signposts yeah. both care about the number of creatures that have died this turn so that kind of is a you know a good um indication of well morbid opportunist is going to fit here um, a handful of the rares care about creatures in your graveyard. It's a pretty clear direction, but not always a good one. And in terms of the Morbid Opportunist, when your black-green cards care about how many creatures died this turn and your Morbid Opportunist just wants one creature to die, they're kind of at odds a bit. Uh, but one obviously doesn't detract from the other. You're just wasting 
potential draws later on with the opportunist if a bunch of your creatures die in one turn so still an all right value engine but opportunist only triggers the one time so naturally doesn't really add up uh, the good green decks in this format prefer to attack so this can be a bit awkward on the curve of course because it's a three mana one three not very aggressive um, it can be better in a late game uh, black green deck but you know you got you have to be able to stabilize to make use of those extra cards if you want it to actually perform well in these decks this is probably the worst home for the morbid opportunist uh, but if you have it in your green black decks it's still likely one of your better cards that archetype just isn't that that fantastic uh, so even if this is the worst home it's still one of the best cards in the in the, the vector try to lean into that build your deck around that and Put the morbid opportunities to work i should mention that it's not the best three drop in any of these decks because yeah. i mean black green and red black they both want to attack and, and, and kill stuff right blue black and black white these decks i think are even better at attacking and i think the fact that i don't know something like a, a falcon abomination this can really shore up the weakness of playing a one three because it provides a flyer and this token body that we found to be pretty useful in the format now i, I actually wanted to talk about some runner-ups some other cards that I found to be pretty bomb level uncommons, and to my great remorse, they're both blue. <laughs> so uh, let's start with Neville Gast Intruder. This is two and a blue for a two one uncommon creature. It's a spirit. Well, this one's for you, and it has flash. It is flying, and when it enters the battlefield, up to one target creature an opponent controls gets minus two minus zero until end of turn. This has felt like a ravenous chupacabra, except with flash. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's funny because this is kind of the, um, you know, we, we've talked about the different like potential archetypes of cards that you can expect to see in a set. Like you can expect to see uh, the blue one mana creature that gives minus X minus O to target. It's usually like minus one or minus two minus O to a creature. Mm -hmm. And it's usually like a one, two or a two, one for like one mana or whatever. Neville Gas Intruder is basically that, but it, it has flying as well and is like a little bit extra mana and isn't a common, but these cards tend to perform well, and especially when it's a flyer that also has some synergies with other things in the format. Like, yeah, it's it's been it feels pretty awesome. The versatility you have in this card, it's it's unmatched. I mean, you can flash it in during combat just to give something minus, and then not block with this. You can right. flash this in during combat, minus something, and then block something else with this, or block the thing that you gave minus to and just eat it or blank a zombie and eat something else or just if they're attacking with just a zombie blank the zombie and then also eat it so they don't get like a, it, it, there, there's so many options for how to use this card i actually had one game that i thought was unlosable uh, my opponent had six open mana and two cards in hand and i had a, a like four or five creatures their life total was really low and i did the math and i said they can only survive this attack if they have exactly two neville gas heralds to uh, blank one creature, chump, and do that fu that functionally twice. Uh, they did actually have exactly two Neville Gas Herald, and I lost the game. Neville Gas Intruder, <laughs> you mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Neville Gas Intruder. Neville Gas Herald must be from the last set that, that we were on Innistrad. Yeah, they, they had exactly two Neville Gas wow. Intruders in hand, and they, they crawled back from it. It was, I, I, I didn't think I could lose. Uh, we should also mention that uh, it's a three mana thing with Flash. Their other option is to just play a have a, have a counter spell like a flip the switch or something, yeah. right? And if you don't play anything uh, worth flip the switching, your opponent can just flash this in, and it's just a three mana two power flyer. But that's yeah. just good, also, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a definitely a versatile card. I mean, it's not drawing you a card every turn, but it is versatile, and it can be one of those tricky kind of cards that people don't really remember to play around very often. So 
Um, yeah, and then like you said, the flexibility and versatility of it, it really gives it a leg up on other stuff in the format. Second runner up here, Scob Wrangler. The order here doesn't matter. I think this one's actually maybe a little better than the Neville Gaston Shooter. If they're side by side in a pack, oh, actually, well, we should talk about why, because it's tough. I think if I am in a dedicated Go Wide Zombies deck, I'm taking the Scob Wrangler. This thing reads one and a blue for a 2 1. It's a human wizard and an uncommon. It says tap three untapped creatures you control, tap target creature. Now, there's some decks where you just do not want this. Blue-green, for example, this, this is much weaker. Blue-red, this is basically unplayable. But in blue-black, and even some blue-white decks, this thing can just be nuts. You could have like four or five zombie tokens just laying around, and then you're functionally locking down two creatures of combat. You're using, you're leveraging these zombie tokens and kind of turn them into a repeatable removal spell. And icy manipulator effects tend to be pretty great. Ones where you get to choose which creature you're locking down every combat. I mean, this can switch from locking down like their 3-3 ground creature to their 3-4 flyer once you've developed your board more and now there's a new threat in the air. The ability to always pick what this is functionally removing from combat is great. And eventually you'll just go wide enough that you can tap down two other things and then swing with like, I don't know, five, six zombies. You'll just win. Yeah, and I think... You know, we looked at this card, I think at the beginning of the format, you were a bit lower on this than I was, but I think one of the big overlooked features of this card is that it its ability doesn't cost any mana, and we thought three creatures yep. sounded like a lot, and it, it is, I guess, but when you can make so many zombies so easily, especially in a deck like blue-black, and then you don't have to spend any mana on it, it's pretty powerful stuff. Now, we should mention that all of these are pretty high up in the 17 lands data as far as uncommons go. When checking out the games in hand uh, win rate, that, that checks to see if it was in your opening hand or if it was drawn somewhere throughout the game. The top uh, actually is Blade Stitch Scob, and uh, number three is Devoted Graph Keeper. But we chose to you know not check these out as much because these they, they happen to be two-color, so uh, there's probably some confounding there involved in, in being in a two-color deck. Scob Wrangler is actually the top monocolored one uh, with a nice... Game in hand win rate of uh, just about 62%, 61.9%. Going further down, we see some other, I guess, really solid and commons. Ambitious Farmhand, Overwhelmed Archivist, our buddy Morbid Opportunist is there. And then some other, you know, good removal spells and and solid stuff. Neville Gaston Shooter isn't too much further down. Now, these, uh, I guess we could argue that Blade Stitch Scob actually has the largest overall mythic uncommonness, but we chose these partly because of uh, the way they function in-game, the way it feels to play against them. kind of feels like you're playing against a Mythic when, when your opponent drops a Neville Gas Intruder or a Scob Wrangler. Yeah, and then, of course, even more so with the Morbid Opportunist. All right, well, that about does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Again, check out the Discord if you haven't already. It's the great a great place to go to just chat limited, also get involved in EDH games and such that we have going on in the background. And... Um, yeah, it's a great place to hang. So come hang out with, with us over there. Um, again, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you want to support us, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Again, we can't thank all of our patrons enough. And if you want to reach us on social media, you can find us both on Twitter. You can find Ben at Betafish1, and you can find me at Zach E. Hackett. Uh, and then you can find the podcast directly at draftchaffpod as well. So that does it for us. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Later. So, uh, I foreshadowed this a little bit, but I've got another pack here to crack. And as I talk about it, I gotta shout out Cardsphere. 
which is uh, where we've been writing articles. There's some great folks over at Cardsphere. And Zach was helping me set up the, to put some stuff on there. Cardsphere, in case you don't know, that it's a site that allows you to trade magic cards. But kind of like a like a digital binder. But the twist is that it's seller initiated. So like the seller finds someone who has listed a want and they look and see like the prices that they, they would take it at and then they uh, like decide, okay, I'm shipping it to this person. Then that person just gets the the uh, the card and they get the money for it. Really cool site, really cool stuff. Uh, I, I posted some stuff on there myself and I'm looking to, to get going trading. Um, maybe even if I get a, a nice card out of this pack, if, uh, if, if we can get it. But uh, if, in case you didn't know, we write articles for them and you can go check out our... Uh, we wrote a little bit of action about... Um, well, some of the, the top picks for movies that you should check out for the Halloween season, as well as some of the top cards you should be drafting. Yeah, I guess we so never did post that in the Discord, did we? I think we might have, but I don't maybe we didn't. Eh, we'll post it anyway. Uh, like, comment, and subscribe if we post it in the Discord. <laughs> First out of the pack, we got a, a nice full-out swamp. Vampire Interloper, Bat Whisperer, Arrogant Outlaw, Neonates Rush... Ritual of Hope. I like this card in the Go Wide decks. Ritual of Hope can kill people out of nowhere. Join the Dance. Contortionist Troop. This this card can actually be one of the biggest things in the format. This thing can drop as like a seven or eight power creature, and that that's pretty threatening. Next up, we've got a Harvest Tide Infiltrator. Another Shady Traveler. <laughs> Ludovic Necro Genius, a nice blue-black first pick. And uh, as if magically knowing that I was talking about her, our buddy bird admirer here in a lovely alt art foil. Nice. So straight to the chaff pile with you. Now, a, a bit of a, a quick chat about this. I actually uh, almost got in a bit of trouble while, while purchasing this bundle. I, I was at Walmart and I saw it for a, a solid price, but I was buying some other stuff, some, some random odds and ends. I was holding the box in one hand. I hadn't paid for it yet. I hadn't scanned it. And I was like holding the box in my left hand and I was using the box to like open up a bag. You know when the bags all get stuck in the checkout? Sure. And, and to like put something with my right hand that I just scanned. And uh, it came with an error message. And... Was this like a self, self-checkout? self This is a self-checkout, self-checkout, yeah. It came with an error message and when a, an, a customer, or, uh, sorry, an employee came over, they typed it in and then it came up with a top-down video and it said, uh, potential missed item scan. So, wow. uh, yeah, I, Big Brother was watching and it showed a video of me like and it looked like I was putting the box in the bag. <laughs> nice. And uh, I was like, oh, oh, no, <laughs> this is this is bad. Um, so the the the, uh, the employee was was very nice and uh, was like, oh, yeah, th these things, they, they trigger all the time for, for all sorts of nonsense. Don't worry about it. So uh, I did not get arrested or, or anything of the sort, but um, I don't know. Be, be careful out there, folks. Uh, Big Brother Walmart is <laughs> watching, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just sensed that I was going to open a... I got a, a few Mythics in this box. I think it was a, a Moonvale Regent was the other one that I pulled, besides the Acroma, or no, the Avacyn's Memorial and the Intrepid Adversary.